anxiety and our stress response, which is causing all those negative feelings. Evolutionarily, that is a protective mechanism. Mm -hmm. It is necessary for our survival. How do we harness that and bring it back into submission so it can help us in the way that it was developed or evolved to help us? That is, to put us into action. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate. Pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Welcome to today's special episode. Over the last 1,300 plus episodes, there have been so many impactful interviews that I've been lucky enough to have, and I always like to reflect on some of the most powerful. And this episode was one that resonated with most of you guys in the past, and I'm excited for the value it's going to bring you today as well. So I hope you enjoy today's episode. 90% of the population identifies as suffering from anxiety. Not, okay, so 90% are affected by anxiety. Yeah. Is it possible for us to change the way we think about anxiety and, and start to heal our brain, heal our mindset around yeah. the topic of anxiety so that it doesn't affect us or consume us yeah. in our life? Is that possible? Absolutely, it is possible. And I think the first step is to realize that anxiety and our stress response, which is causing all those negative feelings. Evolutionarily, that is a protective mechanism. Mm -hmm. It is necessary for our survival. Right. It was and it is necessary. So it was evolved so that if there is a lion coming yes. at us uh, or a dangerous situation that you're in, uh, that you automatically have that increased heart rate, that increased respiration, all the blood goes to your muscles so you can run away. Our problem is that in this day and time, there's not a lot of lines coming at us, but there's all the worry that we see every single day when we look in the newspaper and look at our Instagram feeds. And that worry of a possible terrible thing that might happen, that also activates our stress and anxiety systems. So, uh, but it is there for t protection. How do we harness that and bring it back into submission so it can help us in the way that it was developed or evolved to help us. That is, to put us into action. Right. I want to use that energy to go into action, to um, try and check off all those things. I have this, um, I don't know what, what, when your anxiety hits you, but it always hits me right before I'm going to go to sleep. It's like, oh, really? almost there. <laughs> and then, bing, you know, what if this happens tomorrow? Uh, Did I do that? What if that happens? Oh what if that gosh. happens? And um, so that action, the way I use it, is I say, that's okay. That is going to be my to-do list for tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna take action, and knowing that I can and will take action helps me go back to sleep, yeah. because it still happens. I used to, it used to be extremely difficult for me to sleep until I hit about 30, 31 years old. Yeah. And I would sit in bed for probably an hour to an hour and a half almost every night, uh -huh. anxious, mm -hmm. worrying, thinking, yeah. judging myself, yeah. whatever it may be, stressing about something I haven't done yet, or really just kind of beating myself up yeah. emotionally. 
And what I've learned, there's two things that I've learned. What were the three things that I've learned that have helped me go to sleep extremely fast Ooh, in yeah. the last eight years? Okay. That has been like an automatic switch for me. Uh-huh. One is going through a transition of fully sharing and starting to heal the process of my shame from the mm, past. Mm, so talk, like yeah. finding a therapist and talking about what I'm shame, shameful about. Yeah. Um, you know, and really revealing the parts of myself that I never wanted anyone to know about yeah, me. Yeah. There were so many things that I didn't like about myself that I was ashamed mm-hmm. of or felt insecure around. Mm-hmm. And it made me feel like a prisoner yeah. to my own thoughts. Uh-huh. Because yeah. I felt like I was, in a sense, hiding myself yeah. to the world yeah. and to the people closest to me. Uh-huh. Like certain people didn't even know who I was. Yeah. So I felt like an imposter at mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. I was yeah. still a loving, fun, generous human, but yes. I felt like there was a few things that people didn't know about me. Yeah. And when I started to open up about those things, uh-huh. I felt inner peace. Yeah. It, it didn't oh, all beautiful. go away, but I felt like you know yeah. a lot more peace. Number two was I started to focus on everything at night, what I was grateful for from the day. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, if there was anything good today, what was it? Even yeah. if it was all bad, uh-huh. there had to be something. I'm alive, yeah. you, know, I, yeah. I, you know, I'm healthy or uh-huh. whatever it may be. I have a roof. Yeah. So it's just focusing on anything and I, and I do that every night where I think mm. it's about three things to be grateful for. Mm. That brings me like another level of peace. Yeah. And then I think about what am I gonna do tomorrow to help people? Mm. How am oh, I gonna serve? That's beautiful, yeah. So it's like, you know, healing the shame, yeah. focusing on gratitude and thinking about how am I gonna serve? Yeah. Not just, what do I need for me, but how can I show up for other people? Mm. That kind of three-part combination gives me so much peace before I go to bed. Oh, that's so beautiful. And it's a practice, you know, yeah. it's like a constant yeah. practice. It's yes. not always perfect, but yeah. it's a practice, yeah. Yeah. I love the um, um, thinking about something you're gonna do for somebody else tomorrow, mm-hmm. coming from this practice of healing your own shame. One of the superpowers in good anxiety that comes from your own anxiety, and this is a beautiful example yes. that you just told me, is the superpower of empathy. So For yourself or others? Uh, for First, for yourself and recognizing it in yourself and then giving it out to others. Uh-huh. Because just as you described your journey, a lot of our own anxieties have been with us since we were little. Right. Same anxiety. They stay over, for they decades. Stay for, for your lifetime sometimes. What was yours? Um, so uh, I have many, but the one that I talk <laughs> about here is um, shyness and, and kind of social mm. anxiety. And um, I've learned, because I'm a teacher and yes. because I want to become an author, I've learned the skills not to have those kinds of anxieties. But I was painfully shy as a young girl. And even into college, I I found myself in social situations and wanting to join and not, not you know, feeling comfortable or even in class. And um, so I realized that that has become my superpower as a teacher because I know when I'm standing at the front of the classroom. Shyness is a superpower. My shyness. Why is that? Because when I'm standing at the front of the classroom, there are always those students that say, oh, I know the answer, I know the answer. And I know that there's many more that Mm. want to talk to me, that want to show me what they know, want to have that interaction, but can't do that. And so what do I do? I make sure that I am there 15 minutes before I stand there. Mm. I talk to the students before I stay out after class, anybody that wants to come up for a casual conversation where you don't have to be the one raising your hand. And I didn't even realize it until I wrote this book Mm. that that is a superpower of in-class empathy. And I have that particular form of empathy because of my particular form 
of anxiety, my social anxiety. And so imagine the 90% of people that have their particular form of anxiety. They know what it feels like. They know what's going through many of others Mm -hmm. of our minds. And what if you turn that around? And you do what you do and say, well, how, can right. I, how can I help somebody else in this way that I know I've struggled, but I also know what can help. Sure, right? sure. Okay. So that's how, one of my favorite superpowers. How do we know how to turn anxiety into something good? Like yeah. if 90% of the, is this the U.S. or the world feels anxiety? I think the actual study was about the U.S. The U.S. 90% yes. of the U.S. claims that they have anxiety yes. on some level, yes. right? Yes, exactly. And what does anxiety do for us when we don't have attacks coming our way like if we're constantly in a state of anxiety what does it do to the brain what does it do to our immune system and to our body and our emotions yeah so that's a great question the answer is uh long-term anxiety will have terrible effects on all of the physiological systems that uh, that are being activated so what's happening when you have a stress response your heart rate is going up your respiration is going up so long-term effects of anxiety and stress are um heart disease Um, the other thing that's happening when uh you're in a constant um state of stress is that blood is being shunted from your digestive and reproductive systems to your muscles because you're supposed to be running away from the lion and you're sitting there worrying about your taxes instead or whatever, the Delta variant instead. And so long-term effects, um, ulcers, reproductive problems, long-term reproductive problems with with, um, long-term anxiety. And that's just the body. So now we get to my favorite body area, the brain. Yes. And so long-term stress will literally start to first kill off the uh, dendrites of your neurons, the, the, the input structures of your brain cells in two key brain areas, the hippocampus, mm-hmm. critical for long-term memory in the temporal lobe, and the prefrontal cortex, critical for decision-making, mm. focus, and attention. Mm. And so, for example, PTSD, if you have PTSD, classic example of long-term stress, your whole temporal lobe gets smaller. Mm. Why? Because you first start to degrade the the size of your individual brain cells, and then you start to kill them off. And so that is not memory problems ensue. Um, So it is is not good. Is long-term also the same as chronic? Is that yes. so? Long-term yeah. stress, long-term anxiety is chronic anxiety yes. and stress. Exactly. Which, which, what's the the definition of chronic? Does that just mean something that's consistent over over a months, yeah. over months and and years? Okay. And um, and of course, there's different levels of intensity. Also, I should say that this book, Good Anxiety is not addressing clinical anxiety. That is a different animal. Mm -hmm. Um, For clinical anxiety, just as you would do if you had a broken leg, you need medical treatment. This is not a medical treatment for somebody that has chronic anxiety. This is the 90% of people that say, yeah, I have some anxiety every day. I call it everyday anxiety. anxiety. So these are some of the approaches and mindsets that you can use to start to shift that negative effect of anxiety and shift it in to the basic brain activation that it is and start to help motivate yourself to um, address the things that anxiety. you're uh, afraid of. What are, the, what are the common things that most people have on a daily anxiety basis, I guess? What is it? Fear of what? You know, generally, and this is before the pandemic, yes, um, right. fear of public speaking is uh-huh. one of the most common um, 
uh, fear of uh, money fears, another big one. I'm just thinking about all the my own anxieties that I talked about <laughs> in the book. Let's see. Sure. Yeah. Uh, um, early on, um, social anxiety mm -hmm. is, you know, they mirror the, the clinical levels of uh, anxiety. Okay. One is general anxiety disorder. It's just kind of life and situations and interacting with anything uh, come to my, uh, um, start to produce anxiety. Yeah. Social anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorders, one can start to worry obsessively about whatever that thing is that, that worries you. Um, and of course, the thing uh, that is on everybody's mind right now is the uncertainty around the coronavirus mm -hmm. and everything that's happening in the future. We can't predict. We don't know what's going to happen in the fall with schools um, um, or work. Uh, for that matter. Mm -hmm. And that uncertainty is the key um, driver for a lot of anxiety. So uncertainty in general yes. is, is uncertainty about my money, uncertainty if I go to this social event, am I, you know, I going to fit in? It's yes. just kind of the uncertainty of life yes. around different topics. Yes. It's uncertainty about my parents. Are they going to stay healthy? Yeah. It's just the uncertainty of life. Yeah. So that sounds like it's one of the main causes of daily, everyday anxiety. Yes, right? absolutely. How do we get comfortable with uncertainty so it doesn't consume us? Yeah, that's a great question. How do we embrace it and enjoy uncertainty mm -hmm. yeah. and, and have fun and play and connect with it in a different relationship? Yeah, yeah. So that is a great question. And the answer that I provide in the book is um, a multi-spoked kind of strategy. And um, one strategy that's easy to understand is how do you create more joy in mm -hmm. your life to kind of counteract yes. all of these negative That's things so coming coming out? And so one of my favorite, um, this is in the toolbox part of the book where I go through immediate, medium-term and long-term tools that you can use to mm -hmm. flip your anxiety from bad to good. And my favorite, one of my favorite ones is called joy conditioning. Mm. Joy conditioning is mining your own memory banks mm. for those joyous, funny, pick your favorite positive emotion events in your life and consciously bringing them back up and revivifying them and bringing up those emotions. And my little trick for that is uh -huh. try and find a memory that you love that has an olfactory component to it. A what component? Olfactory. So a particular smell oh. associated with it. Why? Because smells mm. are really evocative of memories. It's very easy to uh, bring up everything associated with that memory if it has a smell. It's okay if it doesn't. But the one that I use is, um, I, I love this one because everybody might have an example of this. I remember a particular yoga class I went to in New York City, and I was doing so well. I was, you know, up dog, down dog. I flipped yeah. my dog. It's like, yeah, I did really well. And then I was doing my the the the, the pose that I do the best, which is Shavasana. So I was in Shavasana, is feeling that the really one where good. You just lay down. Yeah, 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 I do that really well. <laughs> you just lay on your back, or you're exactly. like child's pose. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, I you know I do that even better than child's yeah. pose. It's like I lay on my back, just Shavasana. And I was feeling really good about myself, had this great class. And then on top of all of that, the teacher came around and she put some lavender lotion on her mm, hand and she it, yes. waved it under my nose. 
and she gave me the most luscious five-second neck massage oh. that I've ever had in my life. Because, you know, I, I, I worked out hard. I was feeling really good about myself. And so I literally, in my purse out there, is a little vial of lavender essence. And when I need a little pick-me-up of... Remember the time I just mm. felt so good. It was just this relaxing, feel-good moment. I smell that lavender, and that memory, that is my joy conditioning. I'm joy conditioning myself with that memory. But you can do that with whatever memory you want. Joy conditioning. Joy conditioning. Is that a scientific term, or is that, that something is that's... Wendy, Dr. Professor Wendy Suzuki's term, and okay. it's based <laughs> on my 25 years of studying how memory works and it. applying all of my knowledge to addressing anxiety. And it's really a direct um, antidote to fear conditioning, which we all uh. experience automatically. So that's uh, my, ex my example is um, my apartment in Washington, D.C. was robbed. And I walked around the corner. My door was the hmm. only one around the corner. And I still remember walking around the corner and seeing my door um, crowbarred open hanging open when it was supposed to be locked. It's like, what's happened? And I walked in, which was not the smartest thing to do. <laughs> Nobody was there. But but every time I walked around that corner for you months and that. months, I felt that. That so is fear you, conditioning. How do you flip it? So um, that didn't go away. Uh, and, <laughs> you had and, to move. Yeah, yeah, I did have to move. It yeah. went down slowly. But I, you know, um, um, to counteract that with something like joy conditioning is, you know, invite friends over, create wonderful memories, uh, wonderful safe yes. events in that same space. Um, it never went away. And I'll tell you why. Because that is a safety mechanism. You don't want to, uh, you know, the brain doesn't allow us to uh, uh, obliterate anything. This isn't like that movie, um, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Yes. So um, uh, it, we can't do that. But we can counteract that very protective mechanism. Actually, I don't want to eliminate that. I want to be wary of areas and situations that were really, really bad for me. I, that is so you don't very, eliminate it. I don't want to eliminate it. What if it's been something traumatic, though, or someone breaking in or a sexual assault against you yeah. or something traumatic? How yeah. do we learn to heal the memory and the, um, the emotion of that fear, of that trauma yeah. to live with ourselves or to live in the environment of a home that we can't leave yet? Or how do we... Yeah. Is yeah. it just more joy conditioning? Are there other things? Yeah. So this is where we get to that boundary between clinical yes. levels and what this addresses. So gotcha. I, I'm really not addressing, you know, I went to Afghanistan. I have, you know, terrible PTSD. This, That's not that. This can help a little bit, but it does not substitute for you need to go to a therapist, medical professional, yes. a therapist. And um, Absolutely. so, yeah, I, that, that is not a substitute. However, you can use these in Absolutely. addition to Absolutely. your, you know, uh, therapy uh, uh, approaches. Any tool, I think, is a good tool to try. Yes, Any exactly. tool is a good tool to try. What's another tool we can use in yeah. order to quiet some of the, the negative anxiety that keeps us from joy, that keeps us from feeling good about ourselves? Yeah. What's another tool you like? Yeah. Um, I mean, we already said this, but I think this is one that so many people can use. And it was really inspired by uh, a really good lawyer that I happened to meet at a party one day. And I told her, I'm writing this book about anxiety. And she said, I am 
the lawyer that I am today because of my anxiety. And I said, oh, tell me about that. <laughs> and she said, you know, I use my anxiety for all the different arguments that the other side uh -huh. is going to put up against me or all the things the judge might say, that becomes my to-do list. Like, what if the judge says that? What if the other side brings this up, that, that up? And I turn that into actionable items. And so because I do that on a systematic basis, and I've gotten really good at that, I, I plug all the holes in my case. And I think you could apply that to anything, mm. anything in your life. And I love it because it is an act of, of turning the energy of just worrying, oh, what if this, what if this, into an action. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. That is really at the core of this book. Can you turn that inner turmoil into an action that is positive? Right. And this is one example that's easy to understand how I do that. Even if you get to the top three things on your list and do something about mm -hmm. that, there is a satisfaction that comes from that. And um, it, you can feel that anxiety uh, uh, coming down with every um, check mark that it, you do. Yeah, and if people don't turn their anxiety into a positive action, what happens? If they stay in it yeah. consistently, what happens? Well, then we go back to what are the chronic effects they get of sick. anxiety. Heart disease, long-term stress. Yeah, right. And they stay in this, in this negative emotional state. They stay in the state of pure worry, no action. And mm -hmm. that, is, um, that is difficult to uh, maintain. And, and, and it starts to interfere. It's exhausting. It's exhausting. It's kind of emotionally draining to be Absolutely. in a constant state of stress, anxiety, and worry. Yes, it draining. is. Draining. It's got to make you look older, yeah. feel mm -hmm. tired. I mean, I'm assuming, I'm not sure what the research says about longevity if someone has a lot of stress and worry and anxiety, but I'm assuming you don't live long. Yeah, yeah. You probably die younger than you should. Yes. What is, have you studied anything about the blue zones? Mm. About the people that live in the blue zones yeah. who live the longest in yes. the world? About yeah how they manage anxiety or if they have anxiety yeah. and is there some benefit to having some anxiety or is it better to just have this kind of worry-free yeah. life yeah happy-go-lucky i'm not gonna let anything bother me i forgive everyone you know it doesn't <laughs> matter what you do i'm just a happy human being yeah. is there some benefit to that or no yeah so i think that um i think about anxiety now and all that worry and anger and all these other things that come with anxiety i really think of it as kind of the wind in my sails. That is the little fire under my backside that gets me to do things, gets me excited, gets, gets me to go towards the fear and get through it because I know there's something good on the yes. other side. And without it, I mean, that that is, um, I think there's certain perhaps times in your life if you are uh, 
tired and and you know aren't in this situation where you're dealing with the world that that could be great that is the you know the happy go lucky no no worries but for most of us i think it is very beneficial to learn how to take that fear that is depleting us it is exhausting us is making us look older and turn that into something that makes you feel better about yourself yes. it decreases the overall stress in your life and frankly it is more practical to say look i uh, i'm not going to be happy go lucky all the time nobody's happy go lucky all the time i'm but i'm going to use that bad stuff mm-hmm. that that is inevitably going to come in and i am going to learn from it i'm going to use it to my best advantage and um one thing we haven't talked about yet i'm going to learn about myself through through thinking about my anxiety rather than just trying to say oh i hate it go go away what does it tell us about mm. ourselves and uh, like for me my social anxiety told me how much i love and i appreciate deep friendships mm. because i didn't have them because i was too scared <laughs> to start really? them you're so shy i was so shy and it kept me isolated and there's something wrong about that i mean that that contributed to the isolation in the first place and so the realization mm. and because part of the time it's like i'm a lone wolf i yes. like being alone you know it's okay but actually the truth was i love being with people it 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 motivates me so i i had to get through that shyness to get that joy on the other side and so that was a learning that that i mm-hmm. went through when you when you when someone says they like being a lone wolf what is it i mean no one likes to be alone really i mean we like to be alone in moments but no one's to be alone and not have close yeah. friendships right yeah what is that really what are we really saying when we say you know what i just want to be alone or i want to be a lone wolf is that we don't we've been embarrassed in the past by by social settings where mm. people have made fun of us or what yeah. does that mean kind of in general do you think you know i i think i don't trust people yeah um i i'm it's difficult to deal with you know um reading the cues and mm-hmm. it's just confusing or overwhelming um <laughs> you know a, a criticism of you know the the uh, monk lifestyle and uh-huh. just always and I, they're alone all the time they don't have to deal with you know right, what if i don't like yeah the other monk you know sure. I'll, i'll just go off to my cave and i'll be all alone and then you don't have to deal with it the real test comes when you do have to deal with that and disagreements what if somebody doesn't disagree with what somebody disagrees with you that 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 brings up all of these mm. things that humans were evolved to do we are social animals and um i think that uh you know there's there's uh, uh there are social butterflies i was never yes. a social butterfly i will never be a social butterfly but it is not true what i told myself that you know i just love to be alone and i you know i'm better on my own no i'm much better with people mm-hmm. um so i i think there's uh it is that that difficulty social interactions we were we were evolved to be social but it is scary it and is. some of us have scary. that that fear and so i think it can be terrifying if you don't know how to handle the emotions of it if yeah. you haven't learned the tools yeah on how to navigate when someone lets you down or when someone yeah. uh talks behind your back or when mm-hmm. someone lies to you or when someone breaks their commitment or whatever it is it's like it's hard to learn yeah, these things it is and we could wall ourselves up we can protect ourselves but i think 
that creates more stress and anxiety. It's yeah. like being, feeling alone and feeling disconnected to people. Yeah, I think is even harder. Yeah, but that's it seems safer in the moment. So it does. It does. And I do believe that you know you give you get what you give, uh-huh. and so you know. Put out there. I could tell by your evening ritual that you like to put out there. What can I give Absolutely. to other people? And the more you do that, it's not to say that nobody will ever turn around and try and you know go behind your back about something. They do, yeah. But you you are building so much goodwill in the people mm-hmm. that do appreciate it. It is like this, like protective cocoon. So the more you do go out there and and give to people, the more protected. And that is going back to vulnerability. The more vulnerable you are, and say, you know, I want, I like you. I I want to help you. Here's here's what I can do. This would make me feel good. That's a very vulnerable thing to do and to offer. And um, uh, I think that that, but that pace mm-hmm. uh, even though sometimes it's hard and and uh, uh, and it's scary to reach yeah, out absolutely yeah Adam Grant talks about that in his book I think give and take I think it's called mm-hmm. which like there's givers and takers and you want to you want to learn not to just constantly give to the takers but yeah. make sure there's give and take and relationships yes. and stuff like that yeah. well, I love you said that the war you feel should get you should help you move towards your fear yeah. so if you're worried about being in social settings, you should think about it and say, okay, what can I do to help me overcome this? Yeah, exactly. How can I, I really like to create exercises and kind of games when mm-hmm. I'm afraid. Yeah. And I say, okay, I used to be, when I was a teenager, I was afraid to talk to girls. Uh. I think like most teenage boys, uh. I don't know, maybe I was the only one, <laughs> but I was afraid to talk to girls. And I remember I was, I've told this on, on my show many times, but uh-huh. I, I was sick and tired of being, having so much anxiety, mm-hmm. getting rejected yeah. by just saying hello. Uh-huh. At 16, and I said, "Okay, for this summer, I am going to. Every time I feel butterflies when I see a girl, yeah, I'm going to go right up to her and have a conversation. Uh, and I need to go up to her. I can't. I can't walk away. I have to put myself through this. Yeah. And the first couple of weeks was horrible. It was terrifying <laughs> because I got rejected. I was stuttering. I was yeah. stumbling over myself. I was like, girls were running away. Like yeah. the whole thing. But then eventually, you gain more and more confidence." You, you get a little win. Okay, she talked to me for 10 seconds. You uh, know, so you yeah. build your confidence. Yeah. And I think if you create a game or mm-hmm. an experiment for yourself yeah. and say, you know, I'm just going to do a social experiment around this. Mm-hmm. I did this with public speaking as well mm. for a year. Yeah. I went every week and it was terrifying. Yeah. I went to a public speaking class. Wow. Yeah. And I was like, I'm going to do this as an experiment and see what I can prove every week. Yeah. I think if you do that, it becomes more, we, we go back to joy. How do you create joy right. around the anxiety? Yeah. How can you make it a fun game? Mm-hmm. Not something that's like this terrible, fearful thing, but yeah. how can I make a game out of this? Yeah, yeah. For me, that has worked wonders mm. by creating experiments, games, yes, and trying to throw some joy in there, even when it's so stressful. Yeah, yeah, no, I love that idea. I love that idea. And bringing friends in to help you. Absolutely. Um, because you were saying that you, you, you shared uh, these parts of yourself Presumably yes. with, with close friends. And um, I had that same thing. You know, I, I wanted to project. I was that 10% that's, oh, I'm not anxious. Really? I am, I am happy all the time. You know, I <laughs> you smile on your face, yeah. And the truth was that I wasn't. And it was fear of, well, if they saw the real me, then they would never want to. And I'd be, you know, with fewer friends that I have right now, and that's terrible. But you have to learn how to share your authentic mm. self, or else you get inauthentic friends. That's true. I learned. 
gosh, why is it you said that? Um, we both said this, you know, if people actually knew this about me, then, then they wouldn't love me yeah. or they wouldn't like me yeah. or I'd be alone or they yeah. wouldn't want to yeah. spend time with me. Yeah. Is that something you think is a fear for a lot of people? If people actually knew this about me, yeah. what I was most afraid of, mm-hmm. what I'm most ashamed of, yeah. what I'm most insecure about, if they actually knew this is how I felt, yeah. they wouldn't love me. Do yeah. you think that's a common theme in the world? I think every single person I think that same 90% that are suffering from anxiety has that about something in in their life because it's hard to share even the most um, I'm sure Oprah even has things yeah. that you know uh, although she's obviously shared 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 a lot yes. very difficult to do and um, um, yeah I, I'm sure everybody has something like that and I have this vision that people are just searching for the right configuration of friends where they feel comfortable or family members where they do feel comfortable enough mm-hmm. to let that guard down and you know let it slip out it's like you know what's going to happen sure. if, if uh, that really comes out and and it's it's a yearning that that gets suppressed i think too yes. much yeah. yeah i it's funny when i started to reveal the things I didn't like about myself or wasn't proud about myself about eight years ago and started to really incorporate that on a more consistent basis in my life. And yeah. I have this platform where I'm always talking about my insecurities and yeah. doubts so my audience knows uh, all my, my, my darkness. Um, it gives me, it's funny, the more I started, before I did it, I had so much anxiety mm. and worry and stress yeah. thinking about sharing things. Yeah, yeah. Too close friends, family members, and then eventually I started opening up more on my, my podcast here. But it's since I've done that, it's like the worry and stress goes away. Because mm. I'm like, oh, I'm still alive. Yeah. People like me. You yeah, know, I have, yeah. I have friendships. Yeah. You know, my family didn't abandon uh-huh. me. Yeah. And in fact, it brought me closer to people. Yeah. It strengthened the bonds and connections with my friends, family. It created new relationships that I didn't have because people trusted me more. They could see me better. Yeah. They could understand and empathize with me. They could, you know, they just felt like I was more real, whatever it might yeah. be. Yeah. And I think that also allows me to sleep better at night. Knowing, mm-hmm. okay, I am being 100% authentic to who I am. Yeah, yeah. Revealing myself, opening mm-hmm. up, being vulnerable in conversations. Yeah. It feels great. You know, yeah. I feel like, and people still it like, does. I have great friendships. Yeah, yeah. So what do I need to worry about? Yeah. People it, know all my stuff that I don't like about me. Yeah. And they still like me. Yeah. You know, it's like, and they're my friend. You know, yeah. and the people that don't like me, okay, they weren't meant for me. Yeah, exactly. It feels more peace. Yeah. It's, I don't know. It's, it, <laughs> I, I know exactly what you're feeling, it, what you're saying. It, it really opens up this new kind of communication uh-huh. route when, when you are vulnerable and, and honest. And it, gives permission to the other person to be vulnerable, yes. honest, or just be there to listen, because that's also very, very powerful. One of the experiments that I did in my lab uh, this last year was trying to find the most, um, the easiest, shortest intervention that we can do with students that would decrease their very high levels of anxiety. What was that? And so we, we tested many things. Um, just a walk outside, uh, chair yoga, all mm-hmm. these things they can do online. This was all virtual. But one of the things that was very effective 
that I was so excited about is a mindful conversation. So what we did is um, we didn't go deep. We didn't want to have them reveal some you know deep dark secret. But what we did is um, mm -hmm. my student researchers had a script. They shared a real story about a favorite vacation, why it was favorite. It was real. They were really trying to share this, this experience with them and then invited the student who they didn't know, who was our experimentee, to share the same thing. And in that year where everything was virtual and it was, you know, professors just said, okay, now learn this five chapters. Go ahead, right. go do it. And to have somebody there listening to their story, listening deeply and asking real questions mm. because they were... It, it was only 10 minutes, completely decreased their anxiety. Really? And it by them sharing and someone listening yeah. or by them also listening to someone else's story? You know, I think it was really the sharing and have somebody Listen. else listening because the first part, the my, my students always went first. They didn't know what exactly was going to happen. So that was just to, to lay the groundwork. And um, I think the, the interaction and the good feeling started to develop when they started to open up, sharing this story and seeing, oh my God, somebody is really listening to me. They're asking me a question right. about, about this event that meant something to them. And th that is, it just shows how powerful social interactions are. And even this short 10 minute thing between, we, were, we, were, um, uh, we thought about, should we get two friends to try and have mm. a conversation? That was too hard to control. But I could control, we could control exactly the protocol of this uh, stranger student and the kind of interaction they have. Interesting. Yeah. Do you, is there any research on if men or women are more anxious? Do we, is there any research around this? Like um, when, I know if men have more anxiety or stress or women have more anxiety or stress? I think the stat, I should know this. Are we, all, um, are we just all messed up equally? We, I think we're all messed up equally. There's more women with depression. Huh. Depression and anxiety are, are related, but, but you know, have different yes. symptoms. Um, but I think it's pretty equal okay. for anxiety. The reason I was, I'm curious is because when I was studying about masculinity years ago, mm. I wrote a book called The Mask of Masculinity, which is kind of the, the mask that men wear to mm. project and protect themselves from showing emotion and yeah. showing, uh, revealing themselves. Mm -hmm. um, and when I was on tour talking about it, I would always ask in every city, and about 50% men and women would show up, and I would always mm -hmm. ask like, okay, for the, for the ladies here, raise your hand if you have a girlfriend or girlfriends that you talk to once a week about mm -hmm. your stress, your worry, mm -hmm. your challenges in life, your yeah. work issues, your your body issues, whatever mm -hmm. it might be dealing with, that you have someone, one yeah. or multiple girlfriends you speak with on a weekly basis. Yeah. And pretty much the entire room of women raised their hand and said, yes, every week yeah. I have at least one person. Uh -huh. And I said, keep your hands up if you do this every day. You uh -huh. call a girlfriend on the phone, yeah. you have lunch, you're just uh -huh. talking about something for a few minutes. Yeah. And I go, how does it make you feel to be able to talk about these things? And like, it feels great yeah. to be able to share yes. this. Yeah. And say, okay, for the men in the room, raise your hand if once a month mm -hmm. you get together with a guy friend and you talk about your vulnerabilities, your uh -huh. insecurities, your body issues, yeah. your, your, your challenges at work, and you really open up to yeah. this other male friend. Yeah. Maybe one or two guys and out of hundreds would raise yeah. their hand. Yeah. And 
and I was like, and I would say, you guys are part of a church group, right? Where you meet once a month uh -huh. and you say, like, for an hour and you do these things. Yeah. Like, yes. Yeah. And I say, okay, I go back to the ladies in the room. I say, ladies, imagine not being able to do this once a month, only yeah. doing this once a month. How would it make you feel? They're like, yeah. I'd feel more anxiety, more stress. Right. And I go, imagine these men who never do this yeah. in the room. They mm -hmm. never share these things. Yeah. I'm not saying all men, but a lot, of men a lot of men don't feel like they have one guy friend they can open up and reveal to. Yeah. And I feel like uh, maybe there's another symptom. Maybe it's just like they just wall themselves up and don't share emotion and there's other internal factors or physical ailments that they're mm. caused from that stress. Yeah. But um, I think it's, yeah, either way, I think it's important for everyone to learn how to share these things. Yes. And based on that study you did, I mm -hmm. think it's... When we share, right. whatever it is, yeah. even if it's five, ten minutes, mm -hmm. it decreases yeah. the stress and the, and the anxiety. It seems like yeah. it goes down. Yeah. And I feel like if we got to create better friendships or relationships or therapists or whatever yeah. that we can connect to mm -hmm. and have that consistent communication stream. Yeah. Because yeah. otherwise, when we trap, when we hold on to it, just bad things happen. Yeah. Yeah. Bad no, things absolutely. happen. Absolutely. So what? How does that work? What is the what is the change that we need in raising boys and talking yeah. to boys? <laughs> this is a whole. I mean, this is a dynamic. I mean, I grew up in the '80s and '90s. I was born in '83, and uh, it was just not accepted to show emotion yeah. in elementary school, middle mm -hmm. school, high school. It wasn't acceptable, yeah. especially as an athlete uh -huh. growing up in Ohio. Mm. It just wasn't. Maybe in some, you know, part of Beverly Hills, in LA, you know, mm -hmm. or some like posh school in New York City. I don't know. Maybe in pockets, yeah. there's some more acceptability of younger boys showing this type of emotion. Yeah. I don't know what it's like in 2021, but uh, I just know that you were laughed at. You were made fun of mm -hmm. if you cried, if yeah. you showed emotion. Yeah. I remember wanting to put my arm around like guy buddies of mine mm -hmm. and them pushing me away and saying, don't be gay. You know, or just don't be a little girl. Yeah. Don't be whatever the term is right. that was associated around something negative yeah. Yeah. for them. Mm -hmm. And so you learn in order to fit in, to wall yourself or to, or to not share yeah. the things that people won't like about you. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I'm not saying that's okay. And, I'm, yeah. and, I, and we all have our responsibilities. Yeah. Uh, but as young boys growing up, when we we're conditioned that way, it was hard to break that for me personally. Yeah. Yeah. And it took me a long time until I realized, like, wow, this isn't working for me. Yeah. I'm, I have more stress and anxiety. Mm -hmm. It was really decades of stress and anxiety yeah. and not being able to sleep at night. That, that was the, the thing, that the catalyst that you talked about that was mm -hmm. like, uh, enough is enough. Yeah. Maybe for you as a social anxiety, but finally as a teacher, like, okay, I've got to show up differently mm -hmm. to not stress all the time. Yeah. And so eight plus years ago, I finally started to reveal myself. I was just like, okay, yeah. I'm, I can't live like this anymore. Uh -huh. So everyone can know everything about all my shame because uh -huh. I'd rather that happen and, and be alone because I feel so much stress all the time. Uh -huh. yeah. And then it gave me a lot of peace. Yeah. And then I learned the process of healing and yeah. therapy work and workshops and all that stuff, but, and just healthier relationships in general. Yeah. I don't know the solution. I don't know the solution, but I know I'm trying to be a better model mm. for other men to witness. That's beautiful. I'm trying to bring other men on yeah. and have these types of conversations so that younger men could see like, oh, okay, here's someone that maybe I like what he does or what mm -hmm. he's very, he's an athlete and I can understand and relate to that. Yeah. And hopefully I can start to do this with my own life or maybe uh -huh. with my girlfriend or my guy friend. Yeah. 
try to have some of these conversations, but I just think it's challenging in general. Yeah. It's challenging when you're younger and you're trying to have a few friends Mm -hmm. and they don't accept it. Yeah, exactly. That's tough. Yeah, yeah. Because no kid wants to be alone. No, no. They want to just hang out and go on the playground and just be with their buddies. Yeah. So it's, it's really challenging. Yeah. I don't know. Do you have kids? No, I don't yeah, have kids. Yeah, I, I don't have the, I don't know the solution to that, but I think uh, as a, you know, I don't have kids either, but if I was a parent, I would just encourage showing emotion yeah. with my with my sons or daughters yeah. and be the example, be vulnerability with them. Yeah. yeah. Allow myself to feel, allow mm-hmm. myself to cry if I'm watching a movie or something happens in my life and I'm feeling it yeah. to not wall up, mm-hmm. but to allow myself. Yeah. But this is, I mean, we're going off another topic yeah. here. We're, we're going off another topic here for another conversation. But as an academic, as a neuroscientist, and a study of psychology and the, and the brain and, mm-hmm. and all these things, you've come from a very academic approach to your research. Mm-hmm. But a year ago, you unfortunately lost your father and your brother yeah. around the same time. Yeah. And while you were writing the book, and so you had to kind of shift some of the stuff writing the book because yeah. you were experiencing it on an emotional level what you were kind of researching. Yeah, yeah. Can you share more the biggest lessons you learned from these types of losses for yourself and yeah. how you emotionally had to navigate it when mm-hmm. maybe you didn't have the answers? Yeah. yeah. And what did you learn from those that experience? Yeah. So it really was uh, the week that I was about to dive in and start writing the, the real chapters of this book, Good Anxiety. And, um, and that was when uh, my younger brother passed away completely unexpected. Younger brother. My younger brother. Um, just three months after our father had mm. passed away. So, so we were just healing, still oh, raw, man. from losing my father, our father, and then um, he, he had an unexpected heart attack. Really? And um, so first just that pain and, and grief that I was experiencing is not the same as anxiety. It, it shares yes. some of those negative yes. emotions. This was loss, just grief, sadness, loss, grief, yes. sadness. It was, it was so Anger, painful. Uh, yeah. um, like how how could this happen? It it feels like a different reality. Um, everything looked the same, but it just felt so different. And um, and and it it forced me to explore these feelings that I'd have had inklings of in the past, but never to to this extent. And kind of in this wave of first my dad and then my brother. And um, I slowly came back from it. And I used some of the tools that I talk about in the book that were already in place for me. Morning meditation. So yes. I do a morning tea meditation. Tea uh, meditation. A tea meditation, uh, which I describe in the book, which is uh, a meditation over brewing and drinking tea. For me, that was that was the magic bullet for meditation because um, there's a sequence for brewing tea. You boil the water, you put it in the tea leaves, you let it seep, and then you pour it out and then you drink it. And and that kind of sequence kept my meditation going. So I always had something to do. I was waiting. I was waiting for the tea to brew. Yes. I get to drink the tea now. I get to be mindful about how does the tea feel? How does it? How hot is it? How does it taste? And um, I really, uh, I really came to appreciate that there is this moment and yes everything on the outside of my meditation feels like it's different 
but this moment still feels like every other moment that I enjoyed my tea meditation. So that, that helped me, mm. helped me come back to, I am alive. I'm so lucky to be alive. And yes. Perspective. Yeah. So lucky to have the family that's still with yes, me. Yes, yes. And exercise, uh, my first book, Healthy Brain, Happy Life, was all about the transformative effects of exercise on the brain. So after I meditate, I, I do my workout in the morning. And it was really one day I was doing my workout. It's a video workout. And the trainer said, um, it was a hard workout. And she said, you know, in working out with great pain comes great wisdom. Ooh, I love that. And I was like, oh my God, I, that, that is what I need to hear. Not just for working out. I have just gone through the worst pain in my whole life. And I do have more wisdom. That wisdom is based in the love that was left behind. Yes. And not just left behind. That sounds like it's leftovers. The love that that is here. Yes. You know, that, that's still here from, from my brother and my father. And that's when I started to think about this book, Good Anxiety, in a different way. Because anxiety is an everyday kind of pain and suffering that we all go through. And what if that leads to wisdom? Mm -hmm. what, what does that look like? And I needed as much wisdom and power that I needed. And so the book became searching for the power and the wisdom in everyday anxiety. It never would have been that <laughs> if, if I hadn't had this, really? this event happen. And so um, that's where the six superpowers or gifts of anxiety came from. I needed them to be superpowers. We ended up calling them gifts. Um, yes. But same thing. And um, yeah, so that, that is the, the real origin story of this book. That's crazy. I always talk about um, the importance of experiencing some type of structured pain mm -hmm. on a daily basis. Mm. And that could, for me, that's just a workout. You know, it's yeah, like yeah, something yeah. that makes you uncomfortable. Yes. That's like, uh, I don't want to do this and I don't want to push a little harder. But when we do that, I feel like every day healthy pain yeah. is going to help you long term. Yes. Be happier, mm -hmm. healthier. Exactly. What are the positive effects on the brain when we deal with physical healthy pain? Yeah. So physical activity, and we know the most about aerobic activity, mm -hmm. any activity that gets your heart rate yes. up. The best way I know how to convey this is that every single time you move your body, it's like you're giving your brain a wonderful bubble bath of neurochemicals. Really? Yes. Those neurochemicals include dopamine, serotonin, noradrenaline, growth factors, and the dopamine and serotonin, what does that do? It makes you feel good. It makes mm -hmm. you feel rewarded. That's why just going out for a walk outside when you're, you know, things are going up to here and uh -huh. you can't handle it anymore, it immediately makes you feel better. The growth factors that, that get released in your brain with every workout doesn't necessarily do something immediately, but it leads to one of the biggest wows that I have to this day about the effects of exercise on the brain. So growth factors that you are releasing every time you work out, it helps brand new brain cells grow in your hippocampus. Mm. Did you know that all of those workouts that I know you've done all your lifetime is actually growing you a big, fat, fluffy 
hippocampus. Hippocampus, not a brain, but a hippocampus. Not a brain, hippocampus. And, and there's only two brain areas where new brain cells are born in adulthood. One is the olfactory bulb that helps with smell, and that doesn't grow with more exercise. But the second is the hippocampus, critical for your long-term memory function. Really? That grows, new cells grow with more growth factors that come with exercise. And it's not going to cure aging, it's not going to cure neurodegenerative disease states like Alzheimer's, but it'll give you the biggest, fattest hippocampus that you could have when you get to that age where the neurodegeneration might start happening mm -hmm. if, it, if it's in your genes. So it'll take longer for the right. enough brain the cells to, yeah. Gotcha. yeah. Interesting, yeah. okay, so the, uh, working out how many times a week yeah. helps you with the hippocampus growth. What is, how many yeah. is there? Yeah. So here's what I've found in my lab. So for low fit people that haven't started their regular workout, I took low fit people and I found significant improvements in mood, in their prefrontal function and hippocampal function with just two to three aerobic workouts a week. Mm -hmm. It's not nothing. It, it, it will make you sweat, and especially if you're just starting, that, that is a challenge. But that is the minimum that I found that will give you the, the mm -hmm. more long-term improvement in your hippocampal function. Let's say you're somebody like you. You, you work out, I'm sure, very, very oh, regularly. Yeah. And so what we found is, first thing to know, your regular workouts have improved your brain. You have a bigger prefrontal cortex, you have a bigger hippocampus. The prefrontal cortex is bigger because the synapses, there's more connections, not because there's more cells. And your um, circulatory system, you're actually stimulating the growth of new blood vessels in your brain with every workout. And that is fantastic because mm. the brain uses is the number one user of oxygen in the entire body. The brain so is. The brain is. Overall muscles and oh, yeah, the heart oh, yeah. and everything, way, right? Way more. Blood, blood, blood or? The brain is the number one user of oxygen and gotcha. the, the blood wow. you know, okay. brings oxygen. Sure. And so you, I want my brain to have as much oxygen as possible so it works the best. And so that's what you're doing. So working out works. brings more oxygen to the brain. Uh, working out will stimulate new uh, um, uh, blood vessels that, okay. yes, bring more oxygenated blood to the brain. And if we don't work out on a consistent basis, what does that do to our brain? Yeah. So you don't, uh, you don't get any of those benefits. You don't get the burst of good feeling from serotonin and dopamine. Uh, you don't get the big hippocampus. You don't get the, the blood vessels. And um, then the next p question that everybody asks me is, how long of vacation can I take you know, without working out so, so that I don't lose it? Sure. And you know what comes up goes down. It, it's it true does. in the brain, true in muscles. You know, how long do I don't lift those weights so that my bicep goes down? There is, there's a time frame. We don't have the exact amount of time. We know that it takes between um, three and nine months for these new hippocampal cells to grow with regular workouts. And yeah, if you go on a two-year vacation, it's yeah, it's, it's not going to yeah, back. it's going to be hard. It's going to be. <laughs> what are some of these? So there's six superpowers. Is that right? Yeah. Can you explain these superpowers? We've already talked about a couple of them, but can you explain the rest of them? Sure, sure. The first one is. Um, Resilience, yes, and that really comes. I started the superpower book with that origin story that we being we resilient, yes, being resilient, because that is um, that is one of the first things that I realized came from that that terrible experience. Yeah, that um, 
I, I had to I had to write and give a eulogy for my brother. My brother is the social butterfly of our family. There were 200 people and more that wanted to come. We had to keep down his oh, celebration to just celebration of life to just 200. Not that I mean I speak to large audiences, but it was it was his eulogy. Wow. <laughs> it made me definitely anxious to to know that all his friends and our family were there. And, um, Where did the anxiety stem from? You, did, you don't want to, want to mess it up. You don't want to, you want to make sure you did him justice with yeah. his life. I wanted to make sure that I did him justice. And there was a lot of guilt there because it's like, ah, oh, I wasn't a good enough sister. How come I didn't, how come I didn't visit him more? How come uh. I didn't, um, how come I didn't talk to him um, on a more regular basis? And um, mm. talking about vulnerable conversations the vulnerable, vulnerable conversation that I had with my parents, being Japanese American, third generation um, um, immigrants, you know, I call us kind of the um, Japanese American version of Downton Abbey. Very proper, you know, not a lot of hugging. Uh, we, we don't do a lot of, you know, exuberant kissing. Yes. And the truth, not affectionate. Not affectionate. And the truth is, even though my brother and I knew that my parents loved us, we never said, I love you to each other Isn't as that adults. interesting? I think never. a lot of people have experienced that as well. Yeah. Though, right? And I, at some point, my father had developed dementia, and I thought, you know, I, 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 re I feel like I really want to say this. But it was, I got stuck. It's like, I don't know if I could actually just start saying it out of nowhere to my parents. That would be After you never really said it. Never said it as an adult. Never. Wow. So you said it as a child, but not as an adult. I think I said it as a child. I mean, we got kissed goodnight and right, stuff, right. but I don't exactly remember. You know, it had been so long. Yeah. It's like, but I had this desire to say say this to both of my parents. And so I decided I had to ask them permission to say, I love you. And so I... I How did that work? Well, what did you say? I'll tell you. I was living in New York. They live in California. And I spoke to them every Sunday. And I decided... I built up my courage and I said, this Sunday is going to be the, the big day. The day that them. I asked them whether I can say, I love oh, you my goodness. To, to them. And I know this, how this happens. My mom always answered the phone and I tell her about my week and then she passes it to my dad and I tell him about all the same stories. And then that's how the telephone call went every Sunday. And so, you know, I called, my mom answered, I told her about my week. And then somewhere in the middle there, I said, Hey, mom, you know how we never say I love you at the end of these telephone calls? What do you say if we, we start to say that? Silence. Silence. Is this FaceTime? No, no, no. This is okay. just a regular, you know, cell phone, phone call, call to my yeah, phone call to my mom. Silence. Silence for a long, long, long time. I, I can't tell how long it was because I it felt I like forever, probably. It felt like <laughs> forever. And then she said, I think that's a great idea. And I'm like, Whew. I, I was, I was trying to keep it, you know, keep it light, no, Casual, no big deal. Yeah. And I said, oh great. Oh, I've never said I yeah. love you before. Yeah, but, but yeah, whatever, you whatever. Yeah. So, so I said, oh great, mom. Let's let's do that. Okay. So we finished up our conversations, but then <laughs> the moment. But comes. then, yeah, we both are realizing that oh my Whoa. god, it's the end of the conversation. We're, we're actually going to have to say it, and and so. And it was clearly, it was like, I felt like there were two lions circling each other. Like, what's oh. going to happen? Who, who's going to go first? And I, well, I asked, so I thought, I, I need to initiate this. And so I still, I get nervous when I tell this story because I remember the, wow. the fear. 
And I said, because my theme was keep it light, I said, okay, I love you. <laughs> like big Disney, I love you. Sure. I love you. Yes. And my mom said, I love you too. And then she went to go get my dad. Dad, Wendy's on the phone. And so I was like, oh, it's over. She, she wanted to get it over. We were both secretly thinking, oh my God, thank God that's over. That was so hard. And then I talked to my dad and uh, I explained it to him. It was easier. It was harder with my mom mm. for some reason. I knew my dad would say yes. Right. And so he said yes. We said our awkward I love yous. And, uh, and then we hung up. And I started crying, mm. you know, at the end of that call because... That's beautiful, yeah. I had never said... That's beautiful. I love you to my parents before. So it felt really good. Wow. My father had dementia. The next week I called back and I said, I love you to my mother, slightly less awkwardly. And, you know, at this point, my father really, he couldn't tell whether it was Thanksgiving or Christmas that I was mm. visiting at. So, so I was prepared to remind him that, that we had made this agreement. But he said, I love you first. Oh, that's he remembered beautiful. It. That's beautiful. Yeah. He had dementia at the time. He had dementia he remembered at the time. It. He remembered it. Oh man, that's because beautiful. You know, emotional resonance. We remember the happiest and the saddest events of our life. Yeah. And um, his daughter had never asked him. Wow, my goodness. Whether she could say, I love you. And he remembered, and he remembered every single week through his entire, including the last time I spoke to him. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So that That's was really- beautiful. But I never said I love you to my brother going back to the eulogy. Mm. And, you know, that was a big source of grief, of guilt. It's like, how come I didn't do it? I, I should have done it, I knew. But it was weird because he was not my parents, he was my brother. And mm -hmm. same thing, he, he bro kind of guy. Not, not that, I, I'm sure he would have said it, but it was really hard to have that conversation with him. So, uh, yeah, lots of, lots of things like that going through my mind yeah, when, when I was uh, preparing and getting ready to give this. Uh, but I got, I got through it and um, it had funny parts in it. It had parts that I made everybody cry, including myself. And um, I was very proud that I was able to get through it. And that, I really, really felt for the first time in my life, if I could get through that, I could get through anything. Mm. So that most horrible thing really gave me the most resilience that I've ever felt mm. personally in my whole life. And um, again, that's the origin story. And, and every single time we're able to get through that anxiety, even if we get through mm. and we don't feel so good, you've gotten through, you made it to the next time. And that can help you build your resilience yes. uh, little by little. And um, um, that was part of the, the gift of, and I know that, that grief wasn't anxiety, but, but going through these hard times, that anxiety kind of gives us a little bit of a gift of, it gives us lots of you know, challenges to get through. That is what ultimately builds up our resilience. Well, anxiety gives us the ability to experience courage. Yeah, right? exactly. Because if you didn't have that fear and anxiety, you wouldn't yeah. have to bring the courage out yes. to, sh to prepare, to show up, to know like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna cry at some point yeah. in front of 200 people. Yeah. And I'm a shy person. I don't like people seeing me this yeah. way. It gives you the courage to become something you've never become before. Yeah. And step into 
a different version of yourself. Yeah, yeah. Or step into who you truly are mm -hmm. that you've been holding back. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, it's not fun, but it allows us to access certain characteristics and skills that maybe we don't utilize. Yeah, and that courage is is a skill that is so beautiful and you know people say oh how do i get more courage how do i do it and it really is going back to that action that anxiety and that activation was designed and evolved to put us into action including to act in that cur courageous way that phone call to my parents to say i love you was a very courageous act huge. it was huge how it many years were you thinking about that Many months because it was during the development of my father's oh, gotcha. dementia that that it's like it was building up, building up. It's oh no, I don't want to deal with that. That's that's too hard. And I can't tell you the number of people that have come up to me that said, "Oh my God, I don't say I love you to my parents," and and you gave me the courage mm. to do it. And a lot of Asian people because it comes from from our culture. Very cultural. Um, but also, lots of other cultures don't don't have mm -hmm. that uh, in their natural um, way of, of talking to each other. But it it taps our social element and our our need to express what we truly feel, which is love. Where does so that's the first superpower? Um, uh -huh. I want to talk about love though for a second. Mm. Where does love play into? overcoming stress, worry, and anxiety. Mm. If we have more love in our life, yeah. with the people connected to us and love for ourselves, mm -hmm. does anxiety, stress, and worry diminish? Absolutely. I think that really? is one of the um, things that we can help balance this anxiety that has gone up significantly since the start of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. Is um, uh, One way is to work on those events that cause you anxiety which is a great thing to do. And the other thing is to build up the positive emotions to counter anxiety. So we talked about joy conditioning. Yes. Um, um, bringing more love into your life through social interactions. Um, the number one predictor of a long life is the number of positive social connections that you have. Really? Yes. And I, I thought it's, it's going to be exercise. It's going to be exercise on top because of my first book. But no, exercise is, I don't know, three or four or five. It is social connections. And it doesn't have to be that you know girlfriend that you've had since third grade. It can be positive interactions that you have with the barista mm -hmm. at your coffee shop. Having that positive banter, giving them, you know, uh, really? giving them a, a little punch in the arm sure, and they sure, get sure. it, give it back to you. That that counts, which I love thinking huh. about that. So that that happiness and joy that you can bring, it, it costs nothing for you and it is giving you a longer life. Absolutely. Interesting. So so, but love in general, yeah. is there research or science behind what love does for yeah. happy, like a happy brain, a happy, a healthy heart, like? So love is a natural counteraction to the stress mm -hmm. that you were talking about. And in fact, so the part of the nervous system that is controlling all of those stress responses that we talked about, the blood going to the muscles, the high heart rate, the high respiration is called the sympathetic nervous system. Luckily, we have an equal and opposite part of our nervous system called the parasympathetic nervous system, not stimulating love 
specifically, but it helps calm everything down. It decreases the heart rate. It decreases respiration. It brings blood back into our digestive and reproductive systems. It's called the rest and digest um, nervous system. Yes, and the parasympathetic. Parasympathetic. Rest yeah. and digest. Yep. Parasympathetic, rest and digest. Sympathetic, fight or flight. Okay. Okay. And so, so we want to be more in the parasympathetic. Yes. Yeah. You want to be able to control. Yes. Yeah. Be in that state. Yes. So that when we need to stress, when we need to take on something yes. scary, right. we lean into the sympathetic, exactly. but we're not staying in the sympathetic yeah. all day long. Right, yeah. right. And the best way to lean into parasympathetic when you, when you start to feel that really bad anxiety mm -hmm. come on is deep breathing. Yes. Deep breathing. Because that is the only thing in that list that I gave you that we have conscious control over. I can't make my heart rate go down. I can't bring blood into my digestive tract. Mm -hmm. But I can deep breathe deep and long. And people would be, if you haven't tried this before, just deep four-part breath where you breathe in for four counts, hold it for four counts, breathe out for four counts, hold it out for four counts easiest way to bring some of that calm back in because you are actively stimulating the parasympathetic mm -hmm. nervous system. Absolutely. Yeah. So, but love can also stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system in, 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 uh, in the sense that it decreases your, your heart rate. Um, but mainly it's kind of a different animal. Um, my, my most popular lecture of all the lectures that I've ever given in my entire 23-year career at NYU is called the Neurobiology of Love. Ooh. It's like, ooh, ooh I, like I want to know. Yes. I want to know about the Neurobiology of Love. Is this online also? A video? Uh, yes, actually, it we'll is. You can go up. to um, the website. Uh, all my lectures for my brain and behavior class were were uh, uh, videotaped, okay. and so ooh. I get to tell the uh, intriguing story in my Neurobiology of Love lecture mm. about the prairie voles. Have you ever heard prairie of- Prairie voles. Voles, prairie voles. No, not know what that is. Prairie voles are these little rodent-like animals that live in the Midwest. Oh, I think they I'm live from in Ohio. Ohio. Yeah, yeah, probably, yeah. I've probably seen them. You've probably yeah, yeah. seen them. But they're one like a of the- prairie dog or something? No, like a... different from prairie dog. These are prairie voles. Huh. And prairie voles are one of the few mammals that form lifelong pair bonds. Really? And the way they form it is fascinating. So they live in large multi-generational family units. And so um, the, uh, all the prairie voles have a, have a particular area, a territory. And um, a pair bond forms when an almost mature female prairie vole um, that isn't pair bonded yet is walking down the trail and she smells the urine of uh, a male prairie vole not in her family unit. Well, that is like love potion number nine to her, that <laughs> urine. And if that depositor of the urine is around, they mate for 40 hours straight. <laughs> it's pretty impressive. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot it's of energy. A, yeah, it's a lot of energy. You know, they have that that small body high metabolism. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. They need it. Yeah. Forty hours is is amazing. And what happens in that forty hours? Well, in the female prairie voles, oxytocin, that hormone of love and and connection, gets released like a tidal wave mm. in their brain. And in the males, it's vasopressin uh, that gets released as a tidal wave in their brain. And you can show in the lab, if you artificially mate them, that if you block oxytocin um, during this mating period, they will not form the pair bond. 
in the females. And if you block vasopressin, you won't you won't form the the pair bond. So huh. is it the case that you know what if I mate for forty hours, will I form a lifelong pair bond? Doesn't quite work that way, but it identified these key hormones that are those connecting mm. bonds that we know something's happening, right? When we're forming that that first connection that that keeps us that that um, you know finds us a partner. Absolutely. And so that was the start of the real neurobiological study of love mm. and connection. Because before that, it's like, oh, that's too mushy. We can't. We can't study that, right? But now they had a hormone, and they can look at the genes behind that hormone. They can delete the hormone, and they could um, wow. uh, image people when they were. Uh, one of my favorite studies was uh, they imaged uh, a group of people that had just fallen in love. They were in that honeymoon phase of falling in love, and they identified a set, uh, a complex set of structures. Of course, it wasn't just one that lit up when they were in love, but um, reward systems. Dopamine systems were very highly activated in love. And um, um, interestingly, huh. after then what happens after you're together for five years? Does that disappear? Then what happens? How, yeah. Have you seen the research that shows you can sustain that for decades? It evolves. Uh. It evolves. And what happens is that those people that are still in love, that still have a strong relationship, yes. the pattern of activation is different. It's not the same activation as in that honeymoon phase. Which is more what? The sexual attraction, yeah, chemistry, exactly. the, chem the, yeah, the chemicals of the attraction. It's, it's it, you know, in, in the modality that was um, measured, it was brain activation. So we were just looking, huh. they were just looking at the, the networks that were, that were activated. But what it comes to evolve into is that kind of activation that you see in parent and child. So that strong family connection, uh, you not only see it in parent and child, but between long-term mm. partners. And it makes sense. Uh, our, our relationships evolve. Uh, I think it would be hard to sustain that honeymoon <laughs> feeling mm. for years and years, 20, 30 years yes. down the line, but it evolves into a different kind of social connection that has a different brain signature. And they've shown that that brain signature is similar across cultures, which is interesting. You know, is it only in the United States or they've done these studies in China, throughout Europe, and it's the same patterns uh, that are quite unique in the early throes of love and it evolves into something um, um, different later on if you, if you stay together. Have you studied a lot of I guess the brain science around relationships and love and intimacy long term, or you know, there uh, that area of research is still pretty new. Okay, uh, and uh, so I I always keep an eye on it because gotcha. I know it's my my most popular lecture, and I want to update, update the students. Is there anything you could share around what to look for in a relationship around mm -hmm. the neuroscience of a partner, like meeting a partner? Is there certain questions you could ask if see if they have the right brain chemistry? I don't know. Is there anything else you think we could look for from research or studies or examples that you've uh, seen around understanding, like, is this a potential good partner? For yeah, me? yeah. Well, I have one warning from a, a, <laughs> an experience that I had, 
which was I did an event with the Tisch School of the Arts at NYU, the, the acting school, and we were talking about the neurobiology of emotion and the neurobiology of love, and we were doing it with the um, graduate acting um, class. Yes. And these are the students that are going to go on to be the Meryl Streeps of our, of our time. And they said, okay, we're going to do an exercise. Uh, everybody come up. And for some reason, I went up on stage to, to do it with them. So I got partnered up with one of the... An actor. One of the actors. The students, yeah, yeah. One of the student actors. And they basically took us through, you know those 36 questions that you ask a stranger to, to get? To see if you yeah. like fall in love or yes. something? Where you like stare in their eyes and you yeah. ask the question. Yeah, but no, no, no words. They, they led us through exercises like that. Really? And they led us through things like, now ah. you have a choice. You can step closer to your partner or you can step away. Ooh. I didn't know this guy. He's <laughs> like, oh my God, it became so critical. What is he going to do when it was his turn to make these choices? And I kind of fell in love with this person. Wow. Uh, what, you know, like 10 minutes or something? Yeah, it was 10 minutes. And it made me realize that kind of the system can be hacked. Was this, you know, random student, the, the love of my life? No, I had enough, you know, prefrontal right, cortex right. to know that that yeah. wasn't going to... This 21-year-old is probably not right exactly, me. Yeah. No. Um, but but, <laughs> but the, it was such a powerful, powerful experience. And it, and, and you know, I I uh, I had wondered about doing those thirty one questions. Like, yeah, you know what? I'm not going to do that because I need to have those questions come up organically mm. to test out other things. Because um, so you can almost trick the brain exactly. to feel chemically connected. Exactly. When when there's no connection intimacy, there. Yeah. So that's my lesson. Wow. You can quickly have those, or I quickly developed. Very powerful feelings. Fe feelings. In minutes. Uh, yes. With yeah. a stranger. With a stranger. But it could have there could have been other red flags or values or something that maybe wasn't aligned to you yeah. long term. Right. But our brains can create such such yes. connection, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or our bodies and emotion, like everything combined. Yes. What what happens with when someone is sex sexually connected early on? Yeah. Say within the first week you have yeah. sex with someone. Yeah. What does that do to the same type of brain chemistry? Yeah. Is it more powerful than these kind of 31 questions of intimacy and love? That would be an interesting or, experiment, right? Right. To compare and contrast. But what does that do when you sexually bond with yeah. someone? Yeah. Whether you've known them for a day, a week, a month. Yeah. How does that accelerate the feeling of love and, and yeah. like we're supposed to be together. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's where we can turn back to the studies of the prairie voles. We know that while we don't have exactly the same brain mm. chemistry or brain response, there is release of, of those love hormones, oxytocin and vasopressin, and that does give you that feeling of bonding. Mm. The more sex you have, the more uh, uh, kind of physical connection that you have. So, you know, I think our goal is to step back and think, do I need more physical connection or do I need to get to know this person yeah. a little better, see what their values are, have more verbal conversations before I get myself bonded to this person um, Because it's hard to unbond. It's, it's hard, hard to, to unbond. You feel more and more connected. Yeah. And you might oversee certain behaviors or actions because you feel the connection. Exactly, yeah. I think that's where a lot of problems relate. Not that we're relationship 
experts here. But no, 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 <laughs> definitely not here. <laughs> but I, but it's just curious to know the the, the neuroscience and the psychology behind uh, intimacy. Whether yeah. you're having a a dyad in front of someone talking yeah. about vulnerable things mm -hmm. or answering vulnerable questions, right? You you created intimacy and connection yes. quickly, and also sexual connection that bonds people. Yeah, that's interesting. So yeah. wow. You got to be, you got to be careful what type of questions you ask someone. You got to be careful, <laughs> and it it really heightens the importance of your prefrontal cortex, which is that decision making mm. um, brain area. You don't want it clouded, and two things we've talked about today can cloud the prefrontal cortex: high levels of anxiety, literally shut it down. We know the neurochemistry and the molecular biology of that; that absolutely happens. And so, when you have too high of levels of anxiety, it depletes your decision-making process and you uh. default to the automatic. Just whatever, whatever is most common I do in my body, that's what I do because I've lost my ability to evaluate. And similarly, mm. those, those, you know, that connection that could happen uh, through sexual encounters can also block off your decision-making processes. I think that lots of people have, it's like, yeah, I think I, think I, I wasn't making the best decisions there. Yeah, right. Sometimes, right? We've all and done that, yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so preserve your prefrontal cortex. Yes. Use that part of your brain. And that is the antidote to my warning there. I think that is, um, um, that, that is a powerful tool in relationships. And another superpower is, about opening the door to flow? What does that mean? Yeah. Like enhancing your performance and open the door to flow. Yeah, so I wanted to talk about flow because one of the things that anxiety does beautifully well is it shuts flow down. So flow- You can't get into flow when you're stressed. No, exactly. You gotta exactly. be fully in the moment and, yes. and feel freedom, yeah. essentially, right? You've gotta feel free. Yes, exactly. And so, first of all, I was depressed because I read the definition of flow and it's you know you have to be this world leader and yes. then you have to be at the height it's like i what i can never have flow in my life and then i get stressed about that and then it goes even further <laughs> which is why in the book i uh coined another term which is micro flow look mm -hmm. i may not have the flow that yo-yo ma or um uh, uh, Serena Williams right. gets in that beautiful moment right before they're gonna you know win the prize however I can tell you that I do enjoy flow in my life going back to my joy conditioning I have micro flow when I'm in Shavasana at the end of a yoga yeah. class I felt really sweaty I, all that sweat is drying I feel so good that for is one, flow. Yeah, for one minute for you're... one minute it is flow, and um, you know we were talking about building up those those positive events in your life, and just the realization that we have many moments of microflow that might flip by. We didn't even recognize them. Mm -hmm. Recognize them. That is like, oh, I loved microflow of having a wonderful cup of tea yes. right before I needed it, or or at mm -hmm. the end of the day. Um, it, it, it is uh, that appreciation, it is the savoring, learning how to savor yes. is a wonderful antidote to anxiety. So many, so many moments in the last three months, I just stop and I say, man, what a beautiful moment. Yeah. What a beautiful moment. I look, I'm just being more aware of my surroundings yeah. and the people I'm with and just 
little moments. I'm just like, what a beautiful moment. Yeah. And when I savor these multiple times throughout the day, yeah. I just feel better. Yeah. And I think that's important you're saying that because a lot of times we're just on to the next, on the next, on yeah, the next. Exactly. We're not thinking about this moment. But let me look in the sky and just be like, oh, do you ever imagine like we are in the middle of a we're dust of sand yeah. floating around in an infinite universe. This is unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. You know, just the awe of what this is, yeah. is amazing. It is. Yeah, that's a moment of micro flow. Right. Uh, just that appreciation. And I, I found myself, I'm not a good picture taker, but I, it messes up my micro flow if I try and take a picture of it. I just went, I'm staying with friends, and we took um, uh, the little girl to her very first day of kindergarten. Mm. No, first grade, sorry, first mm -hmm. grade today. And it was so mm. sweet to see her. She found a little friend, and so she went skipping down with the holding her, the hand of her little friend, and I almost cried. And um, I was trying, and then I was too late to take a picture, but, but I got that moment of, yes. that is such a beautiful thing to witness. Absolutely. She's excited first to go day. to her first day of first grade. She's never gonna have this day again, never this moment again. That's so, cool, that's adorable. really cool. The micro flow, I love that. Um, the next thing is, Nurture an activist mindset. What does that mean? Yeah, so this is really about the power of mindset and we've been talking about it yeah. all along. Yes. Is this um, an, an experience that's going to batter me down because anxiety is out to get me uh -huh. or is it a challenge that I can do an experiment yes. as you were talking about to see whether I can do it. And it really doesn't matter if I fail, I win or you lose. I learn so much from the failure. Okay, I'm not gonna do that again. And I do it the next time. And that shift of mindset, I just have to remind myself and um, there's so many things that can put you into that bad anxiety. If I'm hungry, if I'm hangry, you know, all those things, uh, it's harder to pull myself out. But um, reminded myself of what a positive mindset can do. It not only shifts your brain networks, it shifts your whole physiology. It decreases mm -hmm. cortisol. Mm -hmm. It um, The beautiful experiments that the psychologist Aliyah Crum at Stanford has done has shown that all you have to do is tell hotel workers that their level of physical activity and changing the bed sheets, uh, the Surgeon General said, is actually um, above average. You are getting a good workout. When they said, no, I don't work out at all. I don't have time. I'm too mm -hmm. busy. I'm too tired. That change, that, that uh, changed their mindset. Yes. It made them lose more weight than the controls that were not told right. that they were working out. Uh, and it increased their job satisfaction. And so that one belief, what if you, what is that belief, uh, that, that idea that will change your day? Mm -hmm. uh, that is a wonderful thing to ask yourself every day that you go in to a difficult situation or just your regular situation. That is beautiful. And what about, we, we talked about love and yeah. helping you, I guess, eliminate some of the stress and anxiety. Yeah. What about purpose and mm. having a meaningful purpose in your life? Yeah. How does that, if you know that you're on a mission to, for a purpose, whether it yeah. be three months, a year, or you're, you know, decades, you're on the same mission. Yeah. How does that help decrease anxiety and stress? Yeah. For me, um, I, I, I feel like when you think about your purpose, it 
it's like this tunnel vision. All of these things, all of those obstacles go away. And、mm. I feel personally, I was meant to do that.、Yes. I know I'm going towards that. So let's just see how I get there. And you know, you can throw anything at me. I got through my brother's eulogy, so I, I got through that. I can get through anything. And and that is a wonderful reminder. And、um, finding your purpose and and really sticking to it and and being playful with your purpose. So despite the fact that I was always a very shy young girl, I always had this secret. Desire that I knew would never happen of being a Broadway star.、Mm. So I wanted to be Julie Andrews. I wanted to be Shirley Jones. I watched all the Hollywood musicals. I dream of myself, you know, on stage doing that big number.、Um, and、um, and it turns out that 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 feeling, that secret feeling that I harbored all through my shyness, comes out when I teach in front of the、oh, classroom. That's cool. Which, by the way, is on Broadway. So, I, in fact, I am performing go, on Broadway. There you go. That's great. Yeah, it is. <laughs> and、um, and that I I I am a secret performer, and I've I've used that,、uh-huh. uh, and I feel like that is part of my purpose. Like I I end up ended up doing neuroscience, and I have all that science, and I can explain science to people so that they understand it. But I also have this kind of performer's secret. You know, desire to to break out into song, and、um, it absolutely comes when I get in front of large audiences. And、um, the bigger the audience, the bigger the secret diva comes out. Really, <laughs>、yes. you're like this ultimate performer. I, yeah, 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 yeah. Something weird happens, and it's it's.、Uh, I've discovered it since I did the first book, and you know, did more talks and bigger talks. It's like wow. That 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 and that is part of the purpose. It is、mm. it is part of the skill set that I know that I have that is bringing me towards that purpose. It is that ability,、um, my my way of communicating, and part of it is the science, and part of it is that secret Broadway the art, the performance, art, the performance, and that love of the talent. I、mm. always had this. Huge appreciation of the talent that it takes to act and sing and dance. Such a talent. Such a talent.、It's、so like, hard. Ah,、oh, I wish. I wish <laughs> if I could only sing, I would have, you know, gone out for the right, Broadway right. plays. But sadly, I can't sing. But、so. you, had to, you had to heal the people's hearts and brains instead. Exactly. So, <laughs> exactly. You had to help people heal. So yeah. What about、um, alter ego? Alter. Have you studied、ego. alter egos and how they support overcoming anxiety, stress, and worry,、mm. especially being in a performance setting or Speaking at a eulogy, or speaking、yeah. on stage, or performing at a big event, or performing in athletics,、yeah. or speaking in front of a class. Yeah. Have you done any research on alter ego and,、no. and developing it for the brain? No, I haven't. But I think that would be a fascinating study. Somebody asked me once, "How do you give?、Mm-hmm. How do you give your talks?、Uh-huh. You know, what what is your process?" And for me, it goes back to my science training. Science.、Um, It、turns out, is all about the story. What is that story that you're going to tell in this science experiment that you did? 
And I had a very great speaker and a great scientist that was my early mentor that, that encouraged me to think about that story. What is the story you're going to tell the audience? Because they don't want to hear all those boring details. They want to hear what the, what the origin mm -hmm. is, how you got through it, what is that hero's journey, and uh -huh. then what is, what is your conclusion? And so I got hooked on telling the best science story. And then, and then it takes a while to get the next story because you have to do all these experiments and it's really, really hard. But I got really excited about, about building that next, that, what is that story going to be and how am I going to tell it? And that, that has informed, it turns out that, that you know, that's what storytellers do and that's what actors do to get through their, their, their thing. So I, I came at it in a very different way, but I was always about trying to get people that like, I know you may not be interested in this part of science, but let me try and pull you in and tell you why this is so cool. Cause oh, I yes. really have something cool to tell you. Um, that's based on science. Yeah. So alter egos, is that an alter ego? That is my, my strategy. And, and I guess it's, it's kind of my secret energizer bunny that, that maybe it comes from my people pleasing natural disposition. Yeah. It's like, I want you, I want you to be as fascinated as I am yeah. with this. I'm going to show you how fascinating, yes. because it is so fascinating. Yeah. Just give me a second, let me explain it to you. And that's how I always approached my mm -hmm. teaching. And that's, that's, cool. that's what evolved into my speaking that I do now. Yeah, I think it's cool. I think there's a, uh, you know, I love studying athletes who have an alter ego. Mm. Beyonce has an alter ego. I, uh, I think it's Sasha Fierce, when she steps uh -huh. on stage, uh -huh. she becomes this persona, yeah. which allows her to kind of overcome maybe the, the stress or fear. Uh, maybe she doesn't have that anymore, but when she was kind yeah, of right. ri rising in fame, <laughs> uh, that'd be an interesting study to do alter egos and see how that supports people in overcoming anxiety if they, yeah. if they believed they were another person. Right. Or if they believed they stepped into something yeah. that they had that helped them overcome that anxiety. Yeah. I'm and how it evolves over time because she does not have the same um, fear right. that right. she had that I'm sure drove her to create that and to have that energy. She's she's Beyonce now. Right, exactly. So, so what do you do? So needs a new alter ego, yeah. yeah. You just what? become Beyonce. Yeah. You just <laughs> Beyonce. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, there's so many other questions I want to ask you, but this has been an amazing uh, couple of hours here. And I want to ask you the final few questions. Yeah. But before I do, I want to make sure people get the book. You can go pick okay. it up. It's called Good Anxiety, Harnessing the Power of the Most Misunderstood Emotion. Make sure you guys pick up a couple copies and give them to your friends. I see you've got uh, my friend uh, Daniel Amen on here as well, who we've had on here. Yes, Lisa Billy was on here as well. Yeah. So lots of great people have endorsed this book. Make sure you guys pick up a couple copies. I feel like this is one of the biggest challenges today is anxiety people dealing yeah. with stress anxiety uh, around many things uh, the uncertainty of the future their own identity in life yeah. um, why we're here relationships money mm -hmm. career yeah just so much anxiety that people are consumed by yeah. it's one of the things that i appreciated about how i was raised my father wouldn't allow me to watch the news or commercials mm. because he didn't want me to be consumed by yeah. negative programming uh -huh. of, okay, you're going to get sick, you're going to yeah. be unwell, yeah. so you're going to need this drug, you're going to need mm. this thing, you're going to need this solution, like always wow. selling something that I don't need. 
So smart. And he would mute the commercials or turn them off, and he wouldn't let us watch the news mm -hmm. because it was always based around fear mm. and conditioning yeah. that there's more and more and more anxiety and fear in the world that I need to be consuming. Mm -hmm. And I am a happier, healthier person yeah. when I don't consume storytelling of the worst of moments and that are happening in life yeah like it's happening everywhere mm -hmm. you know it might be happening somewhere yeah but it doesn't mean it's happening next door to me yeah uh, or when i walk across the street and so learning to find these moments of joy learning to find these moments of beauty like you talked about and yeah. being in the moment learning to create the social fabric of great connections with friends yeah. and staying in a positive environment mm -hmm. for me has been really helpful yeah and you've got 40 other strategies for making anxiety work for you in this book. So make sure you guys pick up a few copies of this. Give them to friends by Dr. Wendy Suzuki. Um, this is a question I ask everyone at the end called the three truths question. Mm. So a hypothetical scenario. Imagine it's your very last day on earth many mm. years away from now. Mm -hmm. You get to you know live as long as you want, but eventually it's the last day. Yeah. You've accomplished all of your dreams. You've done all the research, the science, you've had all the fun, the joy, everything you wanted to do, you've done it. Yeah. But for whatever reason, your work that you've created in the world is no longer in the world. Oh. It, it goes with you to the next place or it mm. goes somewhere else. But mm -hmm. we don't have access to your information anymore. Uh -huh. Your speeches, your videos, this content is gone. Yeah. But you get to leave behind three lessons to the world, mm -hmm. three things that you know to be true from all of your experiences. Yeah. And this is all we would have to remember you by, are these three lessons or three truths. Yeah. What would you say would be those three truths for you? For me, it would be that we were evolved to move our bodies. And mm -hmm. so learn how to bring movement into your life in a regular basis so that it's not hard, it's automatic, and your life will benefit from that. Absolutely. Number two is that your brain is the most complex structure. It is so unique. It is the most amazing thing in the universe. And so use its powers to make your life better. Mm -hmm. Use that mindset to make your life and the world a better place. Yes. And the third is that social interactions in love is the most important thing to make our lives both longer and happier. So use that statistic for yourself. I think that's so true. I mean, I was interviewing a, a doctor who, he had mentioned that there were a couple moments in his life where he was going through a depressed state. Mm -hmm. It was a couple of years of depression or some sickness and some poor health that was happening in his life, different decades apart. I said, how'd you get out of that? Yeah. And he said, love. Mm -hmm. He said, I met someone and it created like this journey for me of like feeling better, of love, healing myself. Yeah. And love was the anchor that mm -hmm. supported the healing, the growth, the peace of mind. Yeah. And he's like, both times it was love yeah. that helped him heal. So I think that's fascinating. It's the love we have with our friendships and our yes. family, the love, we, the intimate love we have. Mm -hmm. And those connections I think are extremely valuable. Um, I want to acknowledge you, Wendy, for, for the commitment you've had to this for, what, three decades now? You've been mm -hmm. doing this work yeah. and, and putting your life's mission into creating practical, inspiring tools for us to improve the quality of our life. I think it's so valuable 
that there are people like you in the world who make this your mission because it can seem daunting to overcome anxiety and stress and worry. It can yes. seem like there's no way out for a lot of people. Yeah. The statistics of people going through deep depression and, and, and uh, suicides and just hurting themselves, and yeah. addictions uh, are rising. And so for you to make this your mission and to be able to teach it in a way that we can understand it is, uh, is very inspiring. So I really acknowledge you for your work, for your efforts, uh, and for the growth that you've had to experience in the last few years to put these things into practice, unfortunately. But um, yeah. I think it makes you an even better teacher of Thank these you. things and more empathetic to the world. <laughs> so I'm, I really acknowledge you for that. And where can we connect with you online? Where do you spend the most time, I yeah. guess, social, social, social media, your website, where can we yeah, go? Yeah, my website, www.wendysuzuki.com. Okay. You can go there to uh, participate in the great good anxiety um, uh, social experiment. Uh -huh. So you can go and do test your own anxiety and test the effects of different uh, tool, tools, okay. including the ones in the toolbox, on your anxiety. Okay. And, um, so you can take a quiz, essentially. You could yeah, you can to take see how anxious you are. a stress and anxiety oh, experiment, uh, um, a survey before and after, uh, different interventions that we're, we're testing, and you get back the immediate effects The tools of, on how to implement. Yes. Oh, that's cool. Mm -hmm. So you can see kind of where in your life you're the most anxious and then which tool to implement for that right now. Yes. I like it. And that's at your website, right? Yes. Okay. Exactly. And what, what social media are you on the most? I'm on um, Facebook and Instagram. Okay. Facebook and Instagram. Yeah. Wendy.Suzuki exactly. on Instagram. And then Wendy Suzuki, you'll find you as, as well there on Facebook. Um, anything else we can do to support you besides the book, the quiz, social media? Anything else we can go to? Gosh, uh, that is... Um, you can see your videos online. Yeah, videos online. Um, I'm so excited because um, that, that uh, story that I told you about saying I love you to my, mm -hmm. to my parents uh, was a moth talk. So I Oh, that's cool. Talk. Yeah, so, so that, that was such a, a joy to be able to, to uh -huh. share with people. But I'm doing another one on good anxiety okay. and it will be out in December. Okay, cool. So um, that stay tuned for the origin story of good anxiety. Love it, I'm, I'm excited, yeah. okay, cool. Um, this is the final question. It's what's your definition of greatness? My definition of greatness is using your unique brain to its full potential, whatever that means. That is great. And great is so many different things in so many different people and everybody has a beautiful and different brain. So mm. that's my definition. I hope today's episode inspired you on your journey towards greatness. Make sure to check out the show notes in the description for a rundown of today's show with all the important links. And if you want weekly exclusive bonus episodes with me as well as ad-free listening experience, make sure to subscribe to our Greatness Plus channel on Apple Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please share it with a friend over on social media or text a friend. Leave us a review over on Apple Podcast and let me know what you learned over on our social media channels at Lewis House. I really love hearing the feedback from you and it helps us continue to make the show better. And if you want more inspiration from our world-class guests and content to learn how to improve the quality of your life, then make sure to sign up for the Greatness Newsletter and get it delivered right to your inbox over at greatness.com newsletter. And if no one has told you today, I want to remind you that you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter. And now it's time to go out there and do something great. Yeah.